Tibet Museum has recently opened a temporary exhibition titled Shadow Circus, which is about the rare collections of photo archives and videos of Tibetan resistant forces who fought against the Chinese occupation of Tibet between the period of 1957 to 1974. The collection exhibits some key contents of documentary film made by renowned filmmakers Tenzin Sonam and Ritu Sarin. The duo started the exhibition in 2019 and touched many places around the world, including Berlin, Kochi, New Delhi and Mumbai. To tell us more about the Shadow Circus exhibition in Dharamshala and on the chapters of Tibetan resistant forces, I am honoured and pleased to have Tenzin Sonamla here with us in our studio. Rashidelegat, welcome to our programme. Rashidelegat, welcome so to start with, uh, can you tell us the journey of uh, Shadow Circus, a documentary film, uh, to a photo exhibition uh, in the last 25 years? This is the 25 years. Yes, yes. So uh, the journey actually began because of my father, uh, the late Lamo Sering, who was a key member of the resistance and actually the liaison between the resistance and the CIA. So uh, in the 90s, uh, my father was working on a on his book about the resistance. Uh, my wife Ritu and me, we used to live in London at the time as filmmakers and we used to come and visit uh, my father and we used to see all the various photographs, documents that he had collected and we were like surprised that this story, this episode in recent Tibetan history was not widely known uh, even among the Tibetan community, I mean let alone the rest of the world. So uh, we felt it was really important to tell this story so we started to research the story ourselves uh, with the help of my father. We tracked down uh, former you know, resistance fighters, leaders, and eventually we even uh, tracked down some of the CIA officers who had worked with them. Uh, eventually we were able to get uh, a grant uh, of, from the BBC to make a documentary on the subject. So we used that to uh, film in-depth interviews uh, with uh, all the people that we had met. And that film was The Shadow Circus, the CIA in Tibet. It came out in 1998 uh, on the BBC. And at the time, it actually reached uh, a huge audience. Uh, so that was the, the journey of the film. The exhibition uh, is something that happened much, much later. And uh, the reason for the exhibition is uh, when my father passed away in 1998, actually he passed away, 1999, sorry and uh, all his materials kind of came into our custody. So uh, many years later, we were kind of looking through all his materials. We were looking at our own interviews because we had done in-depth interviews, uh, most of which were not in the film because the film was only 50 minutes long. So we were thinking, and also uh, at the same time, even like 20, 30 years after we made the film, we realized that this story was still not known uh, widely among the Tibetan community, especially among the youth. So we again felt it was important to kind of retell this story, but this time using all this material that we had, uh, my father's photographs, documents, maps that he had collected, the interviews we had done, and the film as the basis uh, for the exhibition. So that's how the exhibition uh, came into being. Okay, and uh, so uh, I've also got the chance to visit the uh, exhibition at a museum here in the, in the Kanchen Kinshong. So I've seen that, um, the, in the exhibition, you have shared uh, your personal stories, like you have uh, told us just now about your uh, late father, Lamsringla. Can you tell us more about um, that? And also, what was it uh, like growing up as a child, uh, being a son of a Tibetan resistance fighter? 
So as a child, of course, I had no idea that he was a resistance fighter. Uh, uh, we were all told, me and my sisters, were told that my father worked for the Tibetan government in exile. We were living in Darjeeling in those days. And so he had to go to Dharamsala on work, and that's why he disappeared for... He used to be gone uh, very, very often. He was very seldom in the house. And he sometimes go for long periods of time as well. So we really uh, never uh, actually you know, knew him that well when we were uh, children. Uh, one thing that used to strike me was that whenever he was in Darjeeling, he used to have an office uh, uh, above the house where we lived. There would be like lines of people coming to meet him and mostly like sort of rough, tough-looking characters, you know. And uh, I mean, I used to wonder, you know, who are these people? Why are they, you know, coming to meet my father? Of course, I didn't know that uh, Darjeeling was the nerve center of uh, the, the resistance uh, in exile at the time in the early 60s. I only found out about my father's involvement in the resistance uh, in 1974 when the Mustang resistance force was uh, closed down. And the way I found out was I was in boarding school uh, in Darjeeling and we had a notice board in our school where the day's newspapers used to be pinned up for the students to uh, read. And I was reading the newspaper and I saw this small item that said something like, um, Kampa uh, rebels uh, you know, arrested in Nepal and one of the leaders' name was Hamut Sering, you know. So Hamut Sering is a very uncommon name for a man uh, in, in, especially, uh, you know, in Amdo it's quite common, but uh, outside Amdo it's not very common. So in exile, uh, we were not used to having a man called uh, Hamut Sering, right? Because usually that's a woman's name. So I was thinking, Hamut Sering, that sounds like my father, but, you know, what's he got to do with Kampa rebels, you know, and why is his name mentioned? So I was very puzzled. Then a few days later, my mother came to uh, visit me in school and she told me, then she told me, yes, uh, your father's been arrested in Nepal. He was involved in this resistance force and you shouldn't feel sorry or bad or sad because, you know, he was fighting for the cause. So, you know, that's, that's uh, what happened. So that's the first time I found out that, you know, that's uh, actually what he was doing. And of course, after that, then I went to visit him in prison in Nepal. He spent uh, seven years in prison with uh, six other Tibetan uh, resistance leaders and uh, found out more and more about his uh, story, about the larger story of the resistance. And then when he came out of prison, uh, we really, you know, then that was my chance to really talk to him and find out, uh, you know, exactly what had happened. So I did long interviews with him on audio tape, on video, because I felt it was really important and so fascinating as well that uh, somebody like him who came from this remote corner of Amdo would end up becoming a resistance kind of a figure. Yeah. And the other day I also remember uh, there was a book launch in uh, McLaurganj in Jogiwara, so where you have uh, spoken, about, you spoke about uh, your article in this uh, collection of uh, essays written by Tibetans, uh, filmmakers and writers and uh, scholars in exile. So you have, also, you have shared a story of uh, growing up in Darjeeling and your mother's uh, group, and the, uh, they mostly are uh, women whose husbands uh, husband are in the resistance forces. So mm -hmm. can you share a little bit on that? Yes, so uh, of course when I was growing up, I didn't think it was uh, unusual because these were uh, our kind of our social circle, uh, my mother's friends, my father's friends, their children were our friends. 
But uh, in retrospect, when I think about it, I think it was uh, you know, quite a unique kind of a situation because these were all people from different parts of uh, Tibet. You know, there were Amdos, Khampas, Utsangas, uh, and all kind of like, uh, you know, very uh, friendly and happy together. Uh, all the women uh, were, used to be very good friends, uh, you know, and uh, all their husbands, uh, which I later found out, uh, were all involved in the resistance. So even though in my memory it was all, you know, kind of losar and singing and dancing and, you know, having a lot of fun, but behind it, of course, a lot of very serious things were happening, which I had no idea about. Uh. So, yes, uh, that was a very interesting and unusual uh, time, I think, to be in Darjeeling when that kind of, uh, you know, uh, a gathering of all these different people were there, all fighting for uh, the cause of Tibet and all hoping at that time in the early 60s that they were all going to go back to Tibet, you know, before long. I don't think any of them thought that they would spend the rest of their lives and, you know, most of them would die in exile, right? So it was a hopeful, I think, optimistic time, even though the situation in Tibet was really bad at the time. But uh, yes, for that brief moment in Darjeeling, there was this sense of uh, we are doing something, you know, both the men and the women. Okay, and uh, also talking about the exhibition, uh, I've seen there's a painting of... Uh, painting which is called Blue Satchel, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is uh, apart from the other uh, uh, photos archive which was exhibited there. So uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, about the, uh, the Blue Satchel and also uh, how important does that hold? So uh, this uh, happened I think in 1960 or 61, I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was uh, one of the first uh, kind of uh, so uh, in 19, uh, late 1959, uh, after the resistance kind of uh, moved, uh, you know, came out of Tibet and moved into exile, Andu Gompotashi and uh, Gyalutundut, His Holiness the Dalai Lama's elder brother, they kind of made a plan to relocate the resistance to Mustang in uh, northern Nepal and uh, set up an army there. And the CIA agreed to uh, support this uh, army. But there was a lot of hiccups in the beginning. The CIA didn't actually uh, you know, come up with the arms that they had promised. But by 1960, everything was in place and the CIA dropped their first arms to the resistance group. And now they were supposed to go into Tibet to uh, carry out raids. So they would go uh, into Tibet and uh, raid Chinese military convoys along the Xinjiang-Tibet uh, highway. So one such raid was uh, led by a CIA-trained uh, officer called Gen Rakra, who, uh, you know, they came upon a Chinese small convoy, they ambushed it, uh, killed all the soldiers there, and found uh, a very high-ranking Chinese uh, officer in one of the vehicles who had a blue satchel with him that was full of documents. So they carried the documents uh, with them, sent it secretly by courier to Darjeeling, to my father, and my father, he would go to Calcutta those days to meet his CIA counterpart. So he f immediately flew to Calcutta, gave the CIA the document, and they immediately took it to Washington, D.C. And when they saw the contents of the satchel, the documents, they were just in amazed because it was like top secret, confidential, in inside information about what was happening in China with the great leap forward that it wasn't going well, what was happening in Tibet. There was all kinds of information that they had no idea about. And this was, in their own words, the first genuine, authentic kind of intelligence that they had received from uh, inside China or Tibet. So they were like so happy that uh, they renewed their support, they stepped up their support for the Tibetans. So in that sense, that was very important for Mustang. 
So the importance of this particular episode can be gauged by the fact that uh, one of the CIA officers who was involved in this uh, operation, uh, Bruce Walker, who in fact is still alive uh, in San Francisco and who keeps in touch with me and who donated the painting to the Tibet Museum, he commissioned a painting to commemorate this event and that painting now hangs in the CIA Museum in Washington, D.C. And it's widely considered to be one of the CIA's most uh, kind of, uh, you know, amazing kind of achievements uh, in, in their entire kind of history is this document read. So even in the CIA kind of annals, it's uh, considered to be like very significant. I'd like to know uh, how are the responses of the uh, international and national audience uh, because since 2019 you have been uh, doing the Shadow Circus exhibition around the world, uh, like places like Berlin, Mumbai, Kochi and New Delhi. So what kind of responses uh, did you get and uh, what kind of rare footages uh, does your film uh, has that many of us might not have seen? Mm -hmm. So uh, the first kind of version of this exhibition was exhibited in Berlin. Uh, it was part of the Berlin Film Festival. Uh, they have a program called Forum Expanded. And it, uh, the exhibition ran there for over a month in a, a very uh, well-known uh, contemporary art gallery uh, called uh, Savi in, in Berlin. And the response we received was incredible. Uh, uh, people there were really kind of uh, taken up by the story. This was something that uh, no one you know, had heard about. Uh, also, Berlin being a city that was in the front line of the Cold War, you know, with the divided city, East and West Berlin, I think people are more kind of conscious or have a heightened awareness of uh, the implications of the Cold War. So to see that being played out in a place like Tibet, where no one expected, you know, that the Cold War had even got, gone that far, I think that was something that, uh, you know, interested them even more. So we had people who would just listen to the interviews because uh, we have these interviews on screens where you can listen to them in depth on headphones, and people would spend hours just listening to the interviews, you know, which was really surprising. The exhibition in IIC uh, we did in Delhi, uh, the India International Center. Again, the response was really wonderful. We had uh, all kinds of Indian, uh, you know, people coming, including Indian government officials uh, who came and who told us how they were, uh, you know, amazed uh, uh, at the story. They had no idea about it, and you know, it's wonderful uh, that we were bringing the story to the Indian public. Similarly, in Kochi uh, Biennale, uh, the exhibition ran for three months, and we had a guest book uh, over there. And the guest book is full of uh, comments from people around India commenting about the bravery of the Tibetans, this sad and tragic story, never knew about this part of Tibet. We, all, we only knew the other side of Tibet, which is that it's, you know, uh, peaceful and Buddhist and, you know, but this is so, so important to know this aspect of Tibet as well. So, yeah, the response has been uh, wonderful uh, all through. But now I think the fact that we brought it to Dharamsala I think that's really uh, actually even more important uh, because I think finally our own people, uh, the younger Tibetans especially, we need to understand uh, our history and we need to know this chapter in our, uh, you know, in our recent history, this armed uh, struggle, this episode of armed struggle. You know, because even though right now, of course, uh, the times are totally different, uh, the room for any kind of uh, uh, you know, armed struggle against the Chinese is absolutely not even in, uh, on the table. We have to take a peaceful approach. But we cannot forget that uh, 
all these thousands of people sacrifice their lives for the same cause that we are fighting for today. So in that sense, you know, I think it's really important to be able to present it to a Tibetan audience. And I'm, that, that's why I'm so happy that Tibet Museum is doing it. Um, can you tell us um, what were the major challenges uh, you and Ritu have faced in the course of making the film? I think uh, the biggest challenge, uh, well, in the research uh, aspect, uh, in the research phase, the biggest challenge was tracking down the American, uh, the American kind of uh, operatives, the American uh, officers who were involved with Tibet, because they had pretty much no one knew uh, anything about them. My father kind of remembered. Uh, them, uh, most of them, but he only knew their first names because that was how they always communicated. So he knew there was Ken, Bruce, Mac, but you know, yeah, where do you start? Larry. My father was Larry. All the Tibetans had a, a American kind of a name that they were given and they were only allowed to call each other those names, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, in fact, it's funny because uh, in one of the interviews, uh, Pusang, uh, who's from Nyemo, who was trained in Camp Hill and then parachuted into Tibet. And he had a very difficult time. All his teammates were killed and he survived, but he was in a Chinese prison for 20 years. When he recalls the battle, he always talks about his fellow people. He says, uh, then Luke and Aaron uh, you know, took their poisons and uh, killed themselves. So you know, it was that ingrained in them that they even called themselves by those American names. So uh, finding these American uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, officers, that was, I think, one of the biggest challenges we had. But uh, we were lucky. We were able to meet one of them first uh, in Washington, D.C. And then through him, we met a few others. One of them, we just called up, uh, uh, there's this organization, it's called the Association of Former Intelligence Officers in Washington, D.C. And you can call them up. And we just called them up and said, uh, you know, we're researching a film for the BBC and we're looking for somebody called Mac who used to be in the Tibet operation. And the person said, oh, yes, that's Roger McCarthy. He's in Las Vegas now. Uh, here's his number. <laughs> so it was that easy in some cases. Right? Uh, that, I, I would say, was a challenge. Biggest challenge was to get funding to make the film. I mean, that's why it took so long to uh, make the film. So um, I'd like to read uh, uh, one paragraph from the uh, research by uh, Tibet, uh, historian and uh, art anthropologist uh, Carol McGarren. So uh, she, uh, she wrote, like uh, she said, our analysis of Tibetan resistance must not remain just historical or political project or a story viewed solely through a Cold War lens. Uh, it, Instead, ethnographic detail and explanation and nuances of culture and community must be included if we were to achieve the fullest possible understanding of transnational and continuing saga that is Tibetan resistance. Can you tell us in what ways does the history of Tibetan resistance uh, against PLA forces hold significance in this day and age? So uh, often, you know, the Tibetan kind of a political uh, situation which is actually one of uh, being a colonized nation, being kind of occupied uh, and colonized by China, it's often not seen in that political context. You know, It's not seen in the same way as other kind of uh, liberation struggles around the world are seen. And uh, I feel, this is my personal view, that part of the reason for that is uh, our, you know, we have emphasized perhaps a little too much on our kind of uh, Buddhist kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, character, uh, the fact that Tibetans are uh, deeply Buddhist, that we are generally a peace-loving and compassionate people, 
that uh, because we have been so successful in promoting that aspect of our culture, sometimes uh, we have overlooked the significance of the political dimension. And that is also why in the international kind of uh, arena, sometimes um, Tibet is not given the, the kind of importance that it deserves you know, uh, as a political uh, issue, as a political problem. Uh, I think, uh, you know, kind of a revi a reviving or bringing into the public sphere this chapter in our recent Tibetan history, the fact that there was an armed struggle, the fact that Tibetans, when the Chinese first came into Tibet, uh, Tibetans just didn't, uh, you know, welcome them and say, okay, you know, come into our country and uh, we're happy to have you, you know, that they actually uh, fought back, that they actually did their best to repel the Chinese and that this struggle went on until, you know, 1974. That's so important for us to understand because that brings the political dimension to the Tibetan uh, situation and the Tibetan struggle. And it uh, also allows Tibetans to be a little more, I guess, um, uh, like real people, you know, that we are also, uh, you know, we're not just only monks and, you know, meditators. We also fight, you know, when uh, when our lives, when our families, when our religion, culture, language is threatened, we also, like, resist. And that's so important, I think, to uh, to express that, uh, that aspect of our struggle. And uh, that's why it's important that this history is not uh, forgotten. Okay, so Tinzila, uh, so these are my questions for the interview today, and thank you so much for uh, this important conversation. And it was wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank and you. And also, I'd like to say uh, best wishes for the upcoming DIF uh, 2023 and for the future exhibition that you're going to lead. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Shadow Circus is a collaborative exhibition of the Tibet Museum and White Crane Films. The exhibition will be open to the public till 31st December. Please do visit and witness the dynamic archives of Tibetan resistant forces. Thank you for watching and see you all in the next episode. Happy weekends. <laughs>